First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. I appreciate my wife. Um, I forgot my iPad today, and I'm not against physical Bibles. I usually carry one, but my, I'm just giving you more you want to know. I handwrite my sermons, and now it's kind of harder with my hands, so I had to switch to iPads. So if you think I'm not being biblical, the iPad has the Bible on it, the scripture, and it has my sermon. Well, I forgot my iPad today, but I had it on my phone because it's all connected, and I could read it. You old people that can't, I could read it on my phone, but my wife said, well, you could print those out, so I did. Now, yeah, in case you think I don't do anything, that's a lot of pages. Now, here's the deal. I remind it, I'm not going to do this today because I'd like to do it just to drive you nuts because it would probably keep you awake. There was a minister when we lived in Joplin who he did his sermons on papers, and every time he finished a page, he'd throw it down. And you could tell nobody was paying attention to the sermon. They were trying to figure out how many pages he had left on that thing. So I'm going to try to hide the pages, but I may mess with you a little bit. So this is going to be an interesting uh, sermon today because if I started to think, okay, how can people provide, uh, apply this to their life, it's not so much an individual thing that you as the body of Christ that know Christ, you are the church. The church is not the name, it's not the building, it is the people of baptized believers in the sense they have received Christ, and so you are the church. And so many times we assume things, but we had gone to the Southern Baptist Convention, we're Baptists, but you know, uh, Baptists have a thing called autonomy, which means each local church governs itself, nobody tells us what to do, we come together on missions, and that's why missions are really important. But the past two years, our, our international or whatever, our, our, our main group was having issues, and there's a lot of Baptist churches that are kind of stepping out of the denomination and, and just giving to the missions part and all that kind of stuff. That's not where we're at. But as I thought through these things and had different pastors saying, hey, we're going to go on our own, I, I thought to myself, how, how scary that is on what we're going to talk about today on calling ministers. But then I thought to myself, for over 100 years, this church, Bass Chapel's been here for over 100 years, I believe, um, have called ministers. Some of them they got wrong. Most of them they got right. But that's, and they called them from the Bible. So some of you will know this. Most of you may not. But this section of Scripture is kind of my job description. And so it's twofold. You as a, you as a uh, church member need to know the qualifications. And then I'm not going to doubt that there's somebody here that God may be calling you into ministry. I'm thankful for Mitch that, right, that pastored this church, and he helped me with my call to ministry. And I forget, I never think that I'm getting older, it doesn't bother me, that it's my time to call out the call. And so what I want you to get today is, hey, what are the requirements or, 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 or the things for a minister? We need to know that. And there's actually more in depth in this section of Scripture. But then also, God, are you calling me? And according to Scripture, guess what? There's no age limit on that. Abraham was pretty old when God called him. So let's look at it that way. It was really interesting. My parents, when I started in ministry, would ask me, what did you do today? And guys, 
I don't mean in a bad way. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of a double-edged sword with minister. I can make you think I'm busy all the time, or you can make you think I'm lazy all the time. You probably think both, okay? But my parents stopped asking me because every day can be different. There are, I like Cozy Blue. He used to pastor Ridgecrest. He's a mentor. You know, yes, he, he mentioned there are seasons of life when you're really busy. Then there's seasons of calm. But it's all part of that. But if you're busy all the time, you might be doing something wrong. And so it, it, my parents stopped asking me because it is really hard to explain. Because every day is different. And it's a wonderful thing. And I enjoy it. But it's also very hard. And I'm not playing a violin today. I am opening the door so you understand. Because a lot of you guys have seen ministers and they're but the grace of God every day. I am one step from a wrong decision in being out of ministry. And this is why we need prayer. This is why we need accountability, the whole bit. I am not putting myself above anyone else. But only because of the grace of God, I am here today. And so it's hard to understand, to know, hey, what is a pastor? And our denomination will be asking the question, what defines a pastor? And when you look at that biblically in these terms, and I think we've thrown the terms around too loosely. Now we're in trouble. Okay, and I won't get into that in the weeds today, but we struggle to know, to understand, to measure, and to approve. I have gotten to the point. My, my oldest son is in ministry. They're in Wyoming. Probably in the fall, he's, their church is going to ordain them, and we want to go out and be a part of that. It's a special thing a lot of you don't understand, but we see in the Bible that God's calling is twofold. God calls the individual, and the church affirms the call. And Larry and David, I think just Larry and David, maybe Alan on my, my certificates out there, I think you two are the only ones that are on there. So if you want to blame anybody, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but <laughs> I, I, Alan may have slid by on that, and Dennis did for sure, and, okay, but, but 30 years ago, I was the youth minister here, called into ministry. You guys licensed me, which is not so much, but that was a step on license to preach the gospel. And then when I finished seminary, I came back, and this church ordained me. And it's a process you see in the Bible. It's not so much a certificate, but the fact that we see that elders and those approving from a church say, we approve of this person with these qualifications. And so that was 30-some years ago. And I have gotten to the point a lot of times, see, a lot of you guys have missed out, and eventually we'll have to think on, you know, as we all get older, and we, we, we just did the ministry teens and different things, how, we, how Bass Chapel goes on, whether pastors, deacons, the whole thing, that that ordination process is rare, but it's very important what we do here that we need to know it clearly. And I've gotten to the point in my life that if a church calls me and says, hey, we're ordaining deacons, do you want to come over? I'm not going to do it. I'm not against deacons. I'm not against ordaining pastors. But if that church hasn't biblically vetted that person, I'm laying my hands on them to say they are okay to serve in the household of God. When I became a pastor, you said, well, you've been a pastor 30 years. I've been in the ministry 30 years. I've been a pastor, senior pastor, half of that. And when I became a senior pastor, I decided, look, and again, guys, this is just more of a formative sermon, but the way ordination works for pastors and ministers, a lot of times they're like, oh, they're a good person. I, I know it's not just that, but they do the whole process in front of the church and they ask questions and then they got the cake ready and the ice cream. So we're not going to say no. 
Okay, we're going to approve them. And I decided, look, about a month before, one, we need to prove these deacons. We need to prove these elders. About a month before, they're going to meet privately with the deacons and the elders, and we're going to ask them, and then these questions that we would ask them up here in front of you all. And then guess what? We're going to pray about it two weeks later, say, hey, should we go forward? You see what I'm saying? Ministers, deacons, a lot have been chosen well, but a lot of them have been like, oh, they're a good guy, or they give enough, or they're a part of this. But what about the qualifications? Well, we're not talking about deacons today. We're not talking about you. We're talking about me. And I, I call this, what do I do? Not, what do I do with this? But you may question, what does he do? And again, this section of scripture is not that detailed on it. But these are things that we need to understand. And today, God may be calling you. And so we struggle to know, to measure, to approve. And it's very extremely important to know. And we can choose to like, oh, they're just a good person. And they say they want to be in ministry. Well, Timothy says if you desire, it's a good thing. But not to lay your hands upon people rashly or quickly. Every, it's amazing to me in ministry, oh, it looks like what you do is good. You only speak on Sunday mornings and the rest of the time you're fishing with us, so what's, hey, what's up with that, okay? That looks easy. I want to do that. I want to help you with this. If you can see yourself doing anything else, do it. Not because it's bad, but because it's the call of God, and that is different because the call of God is the only thing that is going to help you through these times. So some people can say, oh, they're a good person, but we haven't vetted them, that you like that term. We haven't tried, tested them. We, ha we haven't been careful. And guess what? Churches pay for that later. You know, I'm talking about, not trying to pick on me, but if, if a minister doesn't start with that he believes in the inerrancy of Scripture, that all God's Word is God's breed, that we are going to do a biblical foundation, run. Do not put your hands on that. It is Jesus plus nothing. In the gospel, if Jesus is the only way to save, you're doing good. But if it's Jesus plus or Jesus less, light, no. But so many times they're a good guy and they say they're called. Well, just because they're called, they may just have indigestion or something. I don't know. We pay. And churches in America are paying now. The church we previously left, one of the problems was they had called people, not just in the ministry and the deacons and stuff, because their family would be mad here or this, or they give this much or whatever, and that church paid for it. And God gave us the responsibility to clean it up and make it a beautiful, better place. This is why we've got to be careful. Or you can choose the greater and see the church grow in spiritual maturity, see the person grow. And so your, your, your action step today is know the job of God, and, and, and your points are no, K-N-O-W. <laughs> oh, my goodness, we're going to get out in time for breakfast. Okay, anyway, last week we talked about judgment begins in God's people, and we carry a greater responsibility as Christians. But other than, other than these, the Holy Spirit, the believer, and the Word, who teaches, the, who feeds who leads the flock in the truth? Holy Spirit can lead you. Other Christians can lead you. The Bible can lead you. But God's put another very important aspect that we don't think about that leads you away from the truth or to the truth. It's the elder, the bishop, 
the pastor who leads you into a deeper relationship with God. You say, wow, we don't use bishop, we don't use elder. All those are interchangeable. Some of them, we'll get into that, uh, have, have different meanings, but they're interchangeable and they're different functions. But they're, you know, and I, I personally, I, I, now that my dad, he tried to keep my English roots from me, from my, my mother's side, but I like the term vicar. You know, and you call me Vic. I don't know. But the reason is, is because a vicar, if you start, I know some of you are going to. Okay, but if a, a vicar, the definition is they're part of the people. They're part of their lives. And that's what I see being a pastor. And so this is where Peter starts next. Peter's been talking to Christians that are suffering for their faith. And now he's talking, guess if the Christians are suffering for their faith, Guess what? How much more is the pastor going to suffer if he leads them in the right way? I don't have stats for you, but it wouldn't take much. A lot of times the stats, people try to blow them out that they're worse. But we do know that in the ministry, the expectancy of people staying to the end is, is very little. And then you add some just weird stuff. I mean, COVID. I feel I've been blessed as a church how you have responded and how we've treated each other, regardless of our various views on how to take care of this. But, man, there was a lot of ministers that churches ate them alive over the issue of politics, over the issue of COVID, anything. That's just right now. But think about beyond that. Here we are, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in, charge, in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now this is a really light summary of the qualifications of what I do and if God calls you and as we call others. This is really just a summary, but let's take a look at it. Verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter's desire is to come alongside and encourage fellow elders and Again, we're talking about terminology, but Baptist churches had elders. It's a term for pastor, bishop, whatever. There is a difference between elders and deacons. Bass Chapel has worked really well, and uh, we're not getting into terminology, but I feel we have deacons that act as elders. And a lot of churches have had hybrids, and you need both. Uh, deacons, just the pure physical serving, and elders deal with the spiritual, the teaching and discernment and all those things. And in most Baptist churches, there's been a hybrid. But he's talking mainly, we're going to use the term pastors, those that teach and feed and lead the flock of God. But these terms, notice it's plural, so the multiple of elders, you know. That's been the biggest problem in the American church is the pastor's been elevated and isolated, and we wonder why they fall or they leave. And I'm not perfect at all, but I watched a lot of pastors under me that just, I mean, I know I'm messed up, but they were pretty messed up. But that's why what you see is what you get. That's why I probably talk more than I should, because it's just like, I need to be who I am. I need accountability. 
and there but the grace of God, I wouldn't be doing this for 30-some years. And so we need to be transparent. So it's talking about overseers, and he's talking about spirit, they have spiritual maturity necessary to minister to among you. So Peter's saying, hey, I'm a fellow elder. He's in the same authority. And that term elder, elder, past, a bishop and pastor, elder means dignity and, and gravity of the person. Uh, it's the facts, uh, the office or whatever to respect. And we could get into that later, but making accusations, and I've been in churches where we've had to deal with accusations against elders, pastors. And the Bible's really clear about that and how to handle that. Bishop. That term means a practical function of the office. It's a general responsibility of guardianship. Again, these are interchangeable. Pastor, that's shepherd. Primary duty of feeding and teaching the truth of God's word. Three different definitions, different gifts, but yet interchangeable. Responsibilities are to proclaim the truth, to build up the church, to protect the, the, the church, to set an example and no pride in that. The only pride should be to see you grow in God. So we're to feed the flock of God through preaching and teaching and, and through di divine uh, bringing out of God's word. Notice he goes on, he says, witness to those who go after. And, and he's saying, I'm talking, I'm a fellow elder in verse 5, and I'm a witness to Christ's suffering, and we're partakers together, we're fellowshipping together, we're companions together in this suffering. The glory of Christ comes from the suffering of Christ. We've been studying that for weeks. We don't need to focus on the suffering, but Christ was glorified. And so when we suffer rightly, we're suffering for Christ, and we're glorifying Christ. We're praising Him. All pastors feed the flock, and, and we need to focus not on, what, on the what here, but how. Those, the, the, el, the office of elder should be done, so we're going to get into that. So look at verse 2. Shepherd, uh, shepherd the, and my son is texting me the, a picture of a big cutthroat fra, uh, trout from the river during church, and they're an hour behind. So uh, he's either skipping church or fishing before church. Oh, Okay. Normally my phone's not sitting there. So anyway, okay. 1 Peter 5.2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Man, your points, most of them are going to be in this verse and the next verse. Shepherd, feed the people, the word of God. Take care, as we talked about, tend to feed the word, the biblical truth. Notice the flock of God. There's a lot of flocks out there. But what that means, that word flock of God means heritage. And some of us understand the word heritage. You, you know your genealogy. You know the things about your family. And so a heritage is a bad thing or a strong thing, but hopefully it's going to be a, a positive thing. And so he's, he's saying here to the under-shepherd, which is me, you are to shepherd and you are to, to keep guard over the heritage of God. I've talked about this before. The believer is the bride of Christ. Christ is the bridegroom. And the job of the under-shepherd is to make sure that your dress is straight and doesn't have stains of the world on it. Now, you can choose to sin, and I'm not responsible for those things, but if I lead you in the wrong way, 
my job is to present you to the bridegroom better than when you started. So, the, the heritage of God, exercising, that means to have the scope over. This means that we water the sheep, don't hold their heads under, okay? <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> Assess their condition. I want you to understand, when I, um, when, when, when I uh, think about sermons or series that we're going to do, and I want to tell you about, there's nothing perfect about any church that I've been in, but I feel that Bass Chapel, for most part, is spiritually healthy. I feel it was spiritually healthy before we came. I feel it's spiritually healthy. But assessing the condition of the, the sheep, I ask the question when I'm looking at sermons or series to do, God, where are they at and what do they need? And so for us, obviously, 1 Peter is pertinent in the times that we're dealing with, but that says a lot about the healthiness of our church that we can have a little bit more freedom to choose different things. And so water the sheep, assess the condition, lead, uh, guard, feed, guide, protect, uh, restore, uh, keep. This means uh, that oversight, looking diligently to manage the church, I hate the word manage, but to overlook, okay, to guide the sheep and to lead them constantly into good pastures. 23rd Psalm, kind of mentioned that in one of the songs today. You know, Jesus is the good shepherd. He does that, but the under shepherd needs to be part of that. This is not out of compulsion, by fear or constraint, okay? Nobody makes me do this. I did not say that to be mean, but if, you, if someone feels that they are called, and don't use the word feeling because feelings will leave quick. This is a wonderful thing that I'm allowed to do and that you allow me to do. But if you're not called from God, it's like my, my oldest son that, like we talked about, he'll be being ordained soon. I remember at one time he was like, you know, he was like, you know, why haven't you led me more in this? And it's like, look, this call can't be because you think God, because dad's leading you. There's not going to be any pressure here because guess what? When push comes to shove, that call is between you and God. And that's why I go, if you can see yourself doing anything else, do it. Because when that call of God, not out of guilt, but when that call of God is on you, that's between you and God. And yeah, there's some Mondays that Lowe's looks pretty good. Can I help you with that? I know nothing about hardware, but I'll smile and we'll look it up. But there's never been a time in 30-some years of ministry that I felt the freedom I can walk away from this. And, but I'm going to tell you, I don't do it because I have to. I don't do it because I'm afraid if I don't. So this is why we got to be really careful when we help people understand if they're called I just want you to see if it's between you and God. No pressure here. The attitude, we need to be will, willingly, voluntarily, not by constraint. And your first feeling, knowing the job of God, means the shepherd knowingly and willingly serves. Not, uh, not the have to, but the want to. So as we look, we didn't go to somebody and say, hey, you should be a minister. You're not going to ever get that from me. God will impress upon your heart. But if that happens, 
We as a church need to help you flesh that out. And guess what? It's okay anywhere along that process if, if you realize, hmm, it was just something I thought of. It was just something I had a tinge. God hasn't, or yes, God's calling me. Knowingly and willingly serve, Let, let's, which leads us into the next qualification. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I have here, where's my Cadillac? Heather's grandfather. Heather and I are engaged. We go out to California. I don't know, he came out here. I don't know what deal is. I've slept since then. We meet her grandfather. Heather tells him, I'm going to the ministry. And he said, where's your Cadillac? What you guys did last week, blessing Heather and I for being here five years, was a wonderful thing. And I've got scripture on that, on the fact it's not bad to pay ministers. Uh, the Bible talks about that. It's not bad to bless ministers. But here's the rub. I'm talking about my call. If I'm doing it for money, guess what? There's way more better ways to make money with less stress. If I'm doing it to get something from you, I am wrong, and I need to do something else. And what's interesting, and as our denomination was dealing with abuse and stuff and making that right, there's a dynamic that if I manipulate people, I can manipulate people into giving me stuff. I can manipulate people spiritually that they should feel guilty and false guilt. And so there's that aspect there of taking advantage of people. I guess you could get rich, from being in the ministry, especially if you decide to, I'm going to get in trouble, uh, stray away from the Bible and just tell people what they want to hear. But I'm not doing it for a paycheck, but it is really biblical if you're able to do that. We bragged on the church before, we're not going to get into numbers, but when God called us here, we didn't really talk about money, whether it was the church or them. We we took a big hit and God showed up, but this church also showed up too and took a step of faith. And I think financially we can see, and it's not about financially, God has blessed both us and the church. Because we stood out in faith and said, look, it's not going to be about money. It's going to be about what does God need and what God wants. But boy, I've been around those ministers. Oh, I expect you to give this to me. And I was with him, and I served under a minister that he would go up to the church people and it's like, when are you going to take me out to dinner? I just wanted to kick him in. Anyway, all right. I was going to say, okay, I'll keep that in there. Okay, okay. Wow, that's horrible. And then I've had people in churches said, well, I did this for you. I'm, I'm serious. It's a heart attack. I mean, I have much money, but I'll write you a check because we aren't going to play that game. So we need to not do it to, to gain money to influence uh, people. Where's my Cadillac? Nah, I don't know. <laughs> Shameful gain, filthy lucre, not covetous. Um, we need to be eager. We need to be willing. We need to be ready of mind. We need to do it freely and, we, and in meekness. Again, it's not bad. It's biblical. But whether I have a paycheck or not, I have a calling of God in my life. 
Not preoccupied with money or material things. And here's another thing. A lot of times, well, why does the pastor have that? Where did he get that money? Guess what? Most of my stuff is either from the mission, the clothes. No, I'm just kidding. The ladies know that's a joke. Okay. Garage sales. And yes, guess what? I want to help you with something. We're not rich at all, but you know what? It, I'm not putting anybody down, but if you save your money, you can have nice things. If you choose your priorities. And so, but so many times what's happened, well, how did they get that? Or we're paying them too much. Or Heather and I have lived in parsonages for most of our ministry. And it'd be like, well, he can't have better than us. I don't care if the gas pipe's open and, and, and stuff's going in there. Just they'll live with it, okay? Well, I'm just teasing. But, you know, so many, so many times we go that route. Well, that's just, you know, they want money. Or I, I, I've been in churches... Again, I'm telling you more than you want to know, but we need to understand this because you need to have this in the DA, and Bass Chapel's done pretty good for 100-some years of knowing this, and every generation has to figure it out. Oh, I've been in churches every year. Let's talk about what you, your finances, and let's give an amount, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, I decided a long time ago, if I have a need, I'm going to tell you. Other than that, if you want to bless us, it's not like, you know, that's what it is. And I'm thankful. Our church has more than blessed us in so many ways. But it can go the other side. Oh, they we got to keep them poor so we can keep them humble. Really? Really? Not preoccupied with money or material things, but all I'm saying there is just because I have something, don't say, well, they're into things. No, I enjoy stuff too. My kids have milk and food. This is something we wanted to do. You know? Um, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, I encourage you to write that down because that's more detailed uh, description. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18 um, says this, Let elders who rule, uh, rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you should not muzzle an ox, which, and I'm a big cow, okay, when it, <laughs> when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. There we see in scripture that it's okay to pay the minister, but I go back to if I'm expecting pay, I'm wrong. God's shepherd should have the attitude of self-sacrifice, willing to serve, ready from the heart of God. Your next fill-in, knowing the job of God means doing it not for gain, but for God. So when we're talking about people and we're talking about they need to do it willingly, not because somebody told them, they need to do it not for gain, but for God, are you one of the hardest things? This sounds weird because it was a pride thing. One of the hardest things, I have been blessed to be a full-time minister, and we're full-time here. One of the hardest things was doing another job after I've done ministry for, for full-time because I took it as a pride thing. Like, I'm not good enough, or I can't keep it together. And you guys pay us well, and I'm, and I'm blessed that you let me bus drive and, and do some chaplaincy things, and that's helped in different things. But on that pride thing in my own that I had to get over, so really? So a bivocational, and I don't consider myself bivocational, a bivocational pastor is lesser than a full-time? That's a load of junk. Because why am I doing it? For a paycheck? No, I'm doing it because I'm called of God. So we need to remember that. This is all to be... Uh, this is all to be to set an example of following God. Look at verse 3. Not domineering over those 
in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That word mean, domineering means uh, uh, for control. Um, and, and talking about the flock of God, the charge of God, the heritage. So you're not going to be controlling. Now, there's a difference. I need to guide you. Ephesians 4.12 tells me to encourage and equip you. And I've told you, whether you're listening or not, I'm a soft stone wall. I want you to think about that for a minute. A soft stone wall. If there's things of God that I feel we shouldn't move on, according to his word, I'm not moving. But I'm also not going to hit you over the head as we go through it. But if there comes a point where I feel we're not going with God and you don't want to agree with that, it may be, hey, it's not about me being right, but we're going to go with God's word. I'm going to have to say, Ichabod, the Spirit of God has left this place and go on. That's not a threat. I don't see that happening here. But that doesn't mean I go around, hey, do this. You need to do that. I'm going to try to speak the truth in love when God tells me to. And my biggest thing, like I brought up, is that we love. So not domineering, not micromanaging. That we're, and we're supposed to set an example, a mark, a pattern, an impression, a figure, an image. This scares the crud out of me. Because it says over and over again that I set an example for you to follow. And I want you to be really clear. This is why I'm so open to you about the things that I struggle with. Because I don't want you to think, well, the pastor, he's got it all together. I know a lot of you think I've got it all together. I know you think I'm perfect. i got it all just going on. You just want to be me. Not. You don't have to laugh that much, okay? But, but the thing about it is, is I need to be setting an example of dealing with my sin, being a person of prayer, the word guiding my life, and in my actions, not perfection, when I mess up, seeking forgiveness with God and man. But I need to be a physical example for you to follow. Did not say perfect. And what is that example? Like Rich Mullins said, we need to be an arrow pointing to God. So if you're following me, this is what ticks me off. Well, this pastor left the church, so I'm leaving the church. If God ever calls me away from here and you leave the church, you're in sin unless God calls you away to somewhere else. Because either you're following, yes, I'm to set the example, but guess who I'm following? Bob Barker? No. I don't know, that came out of the woods, okay? <laughs> Jesus. Price is right, kids, Google it. Okay? All right. I need to be pointing you to Jesus. I don't need to just say it. I need to be a doer of the word, just like you need to be a doer of the word in James and not hear only. So I need to be a physical pattern for you to follow, and that scares me. But that's why I tell you about the things I struggle with. Because I want you to understand, guess what? We're going to struggle with sin. And this is what you do. Again, you need to be a vicar, a part of people's lives, and establish a godly pattern for people to follow. Pastors are to be an example to the congregation. They're to preach the word. They're to teach the word. They're to walk and live out the word. The Lord, uh, uh, they need to lead like Christ. They need to serve, and they need to lead by example, not force. See, man, I don't want to pick on young ministers, but I see that a lot. Well, I'm elder, I'm pastor, so I'm going to come in here and you're just going to do what I say. And I've seen these ministers, obviously I was cleaning up the mess, 
And the last church I was, he wasn't even there a year. And he decided he's just going in and change everything. I'm not any smarter, but that's dumb. Okay? And spiritual maturity does not matter on age. But we need to lead by example, not by force. This is where if you ever feel you're going against God, you're going to hit the soft stone wall. Because I don't want, it's my responsibility to make sure you don't go the wrong way. Your choice whether you do or not. Titus 1, uh, I would write this one down. Titus 1, verses 7 through 9 is a really detailed description of the qualifications. Titus 1, verses 7 through 9. But an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard, or, so we can have a little bit, I guess, or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's Titus 1, 7, and 9. You need to write that down because whenever we help call somebody or whenever you may have a new pastor one day, you need to unpackage that. can't do it without the call of God, the power of God, the Holy Spirit. How many pages does he have left? I don't know. It's scaring me. Okay, this, be, this means we need to, uh, to not lord over people, but set an example of humility, self-sacrifice, passion and worship, generos generosity, devotion to family, obedience to Christ in all things is the example that the pastor needs to set. And again, if you're looking at perfection... Good luck with that. Here's a question. Is he following God? Having a heart for people, a humble spirit, growing faith, your next fill-in. To know the job of God means setting an ongoing example to follow. Follow me as I follow Christ. Well, I may do this every week just to mess you up, okay? <laughs> He's got a good stack there. Okay, we we're getting close. There goes the mic. $200 right there. More now. Okay. Why do we do this? What is, what is my motivation? Okay. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We are the under shepherd. Christ is the chief shepherd. He is the head of the church. And it is, it, pride must be absent. We will receive... Uh, we will receive, he will receive all glory and honor and praise. And he's talking about the unfading crown. That, that's a mark of royalty, being exalted, a role to reign, an assignment of heavenly service. The crown and, 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 and of glory that all faithful believers in Christ will share and experience upon Christ's return. Now, do I wake up every day saying, I'm going to get a crown? Not at all. Never think about it. Don't even understand half the crowns. And guess what happens with those crowns? We're going to lay them down at the feet of Jesus. Okay? Here's what I want to hear. There's my friend Russell. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because I did it perfect, but I want to hear... It's not about a thank you from God, because He does not owe me anything but I want a thumbs up. 
Motivated by Christ, a faithful minister will, show, will share in the glory of Christ. The word of heaven should be the only reason that you want to serve faithfully. I want to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ, period. Your last fill-in, he's there. To know the job of God means waiting for the reward. Oh, I wonder if I get more money or if I get a better position or if I get less people bothering me or all this kind of stuff. Really? At the end of the day, am I closer to Jesus when I started and did I help people more than I hurt? The friend of God, the bride secure, and to see the presence of God. We're going to, sometime in this fall, We'll be going through the process with that with our son, and I trust the church that he's in that he that he will be tested, and we see that he's taking time. But today and for future, you're saying, how's this invitation going to affect me? Well, first of all, if you don't know Christ as Savior and Lord, I want you to understand this: God is real; He sin sin is real. You are separated from God right now because of sin. He sent His Son to die, to be buried, to raise from the dead. And you can be restored with God. If you need to talk to me at the end of the at, during the invitation or at the end, you can know that today. But what about the rest of us? How do you apply this? One, you need to chew on this stuff. You need to read this. You need to understand because a hundred plus years, Bass Chapel mostly ha- has called good ministers based on these things. Uh, in the hundred plus years, they have laid hands on men, and most of them have served well because they knew this stuff. And we can make all sorts of jokes or whatever, but I'm not perfect, but you laid hands on me, tried to choke me a few times as a youth minister. We won't get into that. But, but you laid hands on me, and you took this serious. Take today for your invitation. I've got the information. I understand what it means and how we call a minister, or I want to learn more. But... I don't always do this. I think there's some of you, no pressure. There's some of you that's like, God, are you calling me? It doesn't matter what age. You may want to come forward today and say, I don't understand it, but I'm willing to go through those waters and at any time stop. I'm going to help you. I won't twist your arm. I won't say you should or you shouldn't. But something I forget is somebody called me out. Are you called in the ministry? Are you, is it something that you can't see yourself doing anything else? I don't mean what it looks like. My ministry has changed from youth ministry, children's ministry, to senior pastor. And I see before I die that it will change again. But I'm called. Is God calling you today? You may need to make it public. It doesn't mean it's final. Make those steps. You may need to talk to me afterwards. I will never twist your arm, but I will help you understand whether you're called or not. Because what happens after I'm gone? What happens after the existing deacons are gone? What happens after the people that are part of these teams are gone? That's why I'm thankful that we started the new teams and all these things. We need to be calling out the call. That may be you today. As we stand to our feet and have a time of invitation, Lord, I just pray however anybody needs to respond today in salvation or to ministry that they do it. I pray, dear Lord, that you help uh, our church understand deeply the calling. And dear Lord, I just thank you so much for a wonderful church that called me, that approved me, and that supports me in so many ways. However we need to respond today, Lord, may we be obedient to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.